0: Welcome back everyone. You're listening to episode 84 of Double Hoppy where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast.
1: And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. Our guest this week has an impressive resume. He is a brewer own instructor, has a master of science in brewing science and operations, is a veteran, a pilot, and a home brewer. Welcome Chris from 2-1 Left Brewing.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. How could we not with a resume like that?
2: Well, you give me a little bit too much credit. I'm (laughs) on my way to having a master's degree. I'm almost there. Another year or so.
1: Okay. Well, you're taking the initiative and that's all that matters.
2: (laughs) No, exactly.
0: And I just want to say thank you for your service being a veteran. That's one of the draws that drew us to your profile in addition to being a home brewer, I just can't thank you enough for your service that you've done and continue to do as a veteran.
2: Thank you. Thank you for the support. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that being said, why don't we jump right into how did you get into home brewing? What's your deal?
2: Uh, Honestly, it's not going to sound as exciting as as you might believe. I think (laughs) it was 2012. I was in Pensacola Florida that's where I was stationed at the time and I had nothing to do on the weekend and I was driving around town and there was I honestly forget the shop and it was like brew your own beer and I was like well that sounds like something fun to do on a Saturday to kill some time. so I, I walked in and I said I, I want to start and you know got me set up with everything you know all all partial mash you know steeping grains extract kit and i went home that day and, and I started. And then a couple weeks later I moved and lost all of the, everything I had just bought, which wasn't a big <laughs> deal. Oh, it, wasn't, no. it, was, it wasn't much. Well, okay. Maybe it was, maybe it was a couple months. Cause I do remember, I think I had like one or two batches before I moved. So yeah, it obviously would have been a couple weeks, more than just a couple weeks, but yeah. And then had, I was in one place, I moved to Alabama and lived there for three years and actually did no brewing because I lost everything. And then same thing happened when I I moved out to Utah and I was like waiting for trying to figure out something to do in a new city on a, on a Saturday. And I happened to see, happened to see another homebrew shop and I was like, Oh yeah, I should do that again. (laughs) So I started early 2012 and then had like a three year break and then restarted in 2015. Since then it's been, it's been, it's been fun. (laughs) But both times, I just stumbled onto the shops and was like, oh, "Well, this, this seems right up my alley, so let's give it a shot."
0: Now, did you just pick a kit, or did they kind of guide you? And you were kind of like, "I'm new at this. What can I brew?" And they're like, "Here you go. Try this."
2: Yeah, both of those shops had like pre-made recipe kits, so you could just go in, and you know, they always had them in like little boxes, so you could go down the aisle and see like IPAs or mm-hmm. amber ales, or you know, whatever kind of sparked your fancy and they'd have I honestly I so would just pick them from the name and be like well I want an IPA and I like the name of that one so let's let's do it
1: <laughs> <laughs> sounds like what I do sometimes so
0: how has that evolved into now of what size batches are you brewing what's your equipment like what are you working on now
2: so I have done a little bit of everything so starting out you know extract brewing on the stove and in Utah that was fun because especially in the winter I would just poured into the you know the fermenting bucket and set it outside and let it cool down and that worked well probably not the greatest uh now that I have some knowledge probably not the greatest (laughs) practice but (laughs) it never turned out bad so I guess I got lucky but yeah so then after that I think maybe a year after I started so 2016 I jumped to all grain brewing and got a got a propane burner mm-hmm. and in you know the little fifty dollar or not fifty dollars but the little Walmart tiny tables. They're rated for fifty pounds and I just got two of them and I would move things around, you know, to use gravity. So you know I'd put the burner on top of the table, then the pot, and then I'd fill that up and heat the water and then I'd pour that into, you know, the igloo cooler, do the all grain and then, you know, it was just a cheap three tier system that, you know, i I'd, I'd load up, uh, you know, 150 pounds of propane <laughs> burner and boiling water on a table rated for 50 pounds. I feel like you need to go rate that, like go to
1: Walmart's website and be like, this table says it's rated for 50 pounds, but really it can hold this.
0: Really, I've done this, and, but I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. Uh, yeah. Did you have any yeah. spills with that or did you pretty much, you were able to control it? The whole situation
2: yeah, no, no spills no spills nothing nothing dangerous you know no creaking You know, i was always watching out for mm-hmm. you know is this table gonna collapse on me and it never did <laughs> i still have i actually still have those tables and i use them to to bottle bottle my beers on now uh, but yeah Damn no money's was, worth. yeah exactly they're they're kind of getting there i've been across the country a couple times so the <laughs> but yeah, so then after that, I did that for another couple of years. And then when I moved away from Utah in 2018, one of the guys that I was in a homebrew club with was selling his three tier welded wheeled brewery stand that had you know two burners on one side, you know the bottom one and then the top one. and then on the other side, it was a mid tier and that was for the mash done. And so he he was changing. He was moving to all electric because he didn't want to be outside. And I was moving away from Utah. So I was like, well, I, I'll, I'll buy it off you. So <laughs> I bought that and, and it came with 15 gallon kettle. So then that meant, you know, beforehand, I was always doing strictly five gallon batches. And then I bought that brewery sculpture and, and that ended up being you know, 10-gallon batches, so I I bumped up how much I was brewing. And and it's been, with what I have now, I never would have expected where I got, how I got here. I never set out to have, you know, a 15-gallon electric system in the garage, but that's kind of where we ended up. So I moved to to Ohio in the fall of 2018, and first couple brews on the new system I had just bought were great, the second brew, it was in November. I was put the mash water into the into the igloo cooler, and it just would not hold temperature because it was extremely yeah. cold outside. So then, you know that that brew it worked out, but you know I was pulling water off the bottom, running upstairs to your you know put it on a pot, you know a little pot at a time because you know the, the burner was too big for just doing small quantities, and mm. running back down, throwing it on top, just trying to keep the mash temperature up. So then. I bought my first spike kettle and my ferment, my first fermenter. So I essentially just slowly started building my own heat exchange recirculating mash, just propane, direct fire. So I bought the one kettle that has the coil on the inside, the hot liquor tank, and and I used that and I got rid of the igloo cooler and took my old hot liquor tank, which was a 15 gallon kettle as well, and just made that into a mash tun. And that worked for me for a good year as well, and and it and it probably would it would have kept working. But my boil kettle had one of the little exterior sight glasses, to, you know, for volume marking, and every so often it would boil out of that tube and it would just spill everywhere. And so oh. that was <laughs> that was that was me like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with this. So right. then I bought the the second I bought the boil kettle from Spike, and I was like, okay, well now I have two spikes kettles one on top of the other and in and a, and a stainless steel kettle for the mash and I worked with that for a year and so I, I slowly built it every year because then I was recirculating uh you know recirculating the mash to keep the temperature because that's why I needed it is just so it would maintain temperature and then I got the boil kettle and again it, it probably would have been fine but I I came home, I was overseas for a couple months and then when I came home it was midsummer and I said to myself, you know what? I'm tired of being <laughs> outside in the summer watching because with the propane it's it's not automatic like you can't just set I mean they probably make these controllers out there that'll kick the the burner on and off mm-hmm. just like electric but I didn't have any of that so I was constantly regulating the flow of the propane regulating the flow of the the wart through the recirculation just to maintain temperature Mm -hmm. and i was i was just watching all of the different temperature probes and just doing all of the adjustments myself and just kind of figuring it out and i said you know i'm I'm, I'm done standing in the summer heat next to a (laughs) propane burner so then i bought the spike mash done but at the same time, I sent my first two kettles back to Spike and had them weld in the, the ports for the, the heating element. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm just going to switch to switch to electric. By this point, it, it wasn't that much of a, an expense because I'd bought two of the kettles already, and I'd already bought the third, and now I was just adding ports and buying the electric control panel. So it, it's not the branded Spike one, but it's the exact same one that they, that they source mm-hmm. out. So it was it's it's been great and now i'm brewing in a garage i have the you know the spike trio system the logos don't match i have one of the new logos two of the old logos it's fine
1: whatever works it's fine. it doesn't yeah. matter
0: uh, that seems that seems to really annoy some homebrewers where they are like man like i i want the new logo or some like want the original logo and it's like it's the same kettle, kettle and they're just like making a big deal about the sticker it's like do you really want a sticker just go get a sticker and put it on
2: right. No, exactly. And, and some days I'm like, ah, oh, darn it. But not enough to 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 buy all the kettles yeah, all over again. Definitely not. No, no <laughs> so now I'm in, I'm in the garage and that's nice. Yeah. Summer, summer brew days in the garage. I'm in the shade. Everything's electric. So I can just set the mash temperature and it adjusts and it maintains the temperature perfectly. I, you know, I could set it. Usually even when I'm like doing cleaning cycles, I'll just set everything up. And while it's cleaning and cycling through with the pumps i mean i'll go have dinner and come back yeah. an hour later and be like okay start disassembling
1: get a lawn um, chair out have a beer yeah exactly
2: <laughs> the only bad part is winter brew days
1: mm-hmm. are
2: probably now the worst just because i have to have the garage open i don't have the steam condenser lid i should probably get one and then i could keep the garage door closed but i don't so i just I have to have the garage door open and um yeah, the winter winter ones can can be can be a challenge, uh, just because it gets it gets cold sometimes.
1: Yeah, just not, dress not like the, this, kid, for, <laughs> the
2: kid,
1: the yeah. kid from uh, Christmas Story. Just dress like that, and you'll be great.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as you don't I, have to touch have, anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I have I I've been trying different little propane side heaters, and I don't know. I might just get one of the the big ones that you can hang up on the ceiling and just stand under it. Yeah, Uh, but that's maybe that's maybe for next one. I think we're through the worst of it. And I would. Yeah, I only had two brew days that were pretty cold this year. Most of the time it was I I got lucky and it was chilly, but it wasn't like 40 degrees outside. It was, you know, high 50s, which was still kind of chilly, but not not bad.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you've pretty much tried the whole gambit of going from extract to all grain to also going from propane to all electric and just finding what really works for you, especially moving from different states and trying to figure out what's going to work in my space. Also, what did I learn from the previous location and equipment on why do I want to waste my time when I just want to make beer?
2: Exactly. Yeah. About the time I had already bought my boil kettle is when they started coming out with like the all-in-one systems and some days i'm like man i should have just i should have just stopped then and gone that route but i was already i already bought two of the kettles i was like now nah, I'm, I'm, I'm already invested so we're building a trio as it is but i also i love having three vessels i've never used an all-in-one system so i can't say it's better or worse, but I like what I got. So, and every, everything that I've done has been, like you said, out of necessity and just solving one problem and Mm -hmm. controlling, looking at, you know, the different variables you can control and trying to get as much control out of the
0: entire process. Yeah. I think it's really the amount of complexity you want to add to your process. Some people are really good and mechanically sound where they want to make it as complex as possible. And some other people just want to have a kettle, you know, extract, you you brew it in one whole, you know, system and you're good to, good to go. So from your learning experiences, how did that kind of attribute to you becoming a brew your own instructor? Can you kind of walk us through that process and what it's like to be a brew instructor?
2: So what we do at the brewery is it's more of like an event. So it's all it's all partial mash brewing. So when we when we get a group in, we, you know, I, I ask them the first thing I'm like any brewing experience? Do you want mm-hmm. to have brewing experience? And then I'm I'm telling them everything we're doing you can do at home. You know, we have steam powered brew kettles. You know, we have a boiler and that produces steam and, and circulates around the outside of the kettle. And I don't know why we have that, but in my head, I think it's more liability so we don't have to have we don't have any open fires but you know direct fire near any customers we don't have to have fire suppression out in the brewery space around the kettles because everything's powered by the boiler
0: yeah um, i think re- reducing risk is probably a, a smart smart call and also sim- trying to simplify the process to the part that's really sexy that people want to you know add the ingredients or they want to do the you know they don't want to clean a kettle for you know hours like home brewers have yeah. to do
2: yeah, so I I actually found it on Facebook in one of the homebrew clubs that is in Dayton. One of the guys posted on there like they're they're always looking for brewers. It's it's a completely weekend only thing. So it's only we only do it Saturdays Sundays. There's oh. there's about five of us, so we always just kind of split up the different weekends throughout the month because everyone has everyone has day jobs. So it's more. More of just kind of you know brewing beer and, and getting paid to brew beer and, and teach people partial mash brewing and then we do all the cleanup. So uh, awesome. That's uh, yeah. It's I always like to make the joke. I get paid to stand around and make beer with you guys. <laughs> I get to drink beer and talk about beer, and then I don't have to take the beer home and drink it. You guys get to do that. So,
1: <laughs> so how do they divide up the beer? One like obviously it ferments. Do you keep it there to ferment and then? bottle or can it up and give it out or how does that how does the end process work after the day's over
2: so whoever books the group like we don't we don't merge multiple groups so gotcha if you booked an appointment on saturday at noon to brew an amber ale whoever you brought with you you could bring whoever you wanted but it would be y'all's beer so so they, they'll come for the brew day, probably two and a half to three hours. My process that I go through with, and, and every, every one of the guys that do this kind of does it a little bit differently, but I get us started, the steeping grains going, and then measure out everything for the rest of the brew day. And then about the time we're done with that, the extract's measured out, the hops are measured out. Then about that time, you know, we've talked about what the extract is and, you know, taste testing a bunch of the different grains, the extract. About that time the steeping grains done, so we pull that out and we throw the extract in, get that all stirred up, and then I take everyone on a tour of the actual big production brew house. And about the time that's when I kick the boiler on. So we're not worried about it boiling while we're steeping the grains or or on the tour, because I don't turn the boiler on until we're halfway through the tour and we're not so that way we're not in a rush. And then we kinda stand in the back and I let people walk up onto the big production brew deck where from there, you can see through some glass into the into the brewery uh, behind the bar uh, and wave at people because the only people that get to go on a tour of. Of the production space is the people that are brewing so we don't we don't do any sort of other tours so i like to let people you know feel important and kind of wave at people and then yeah. i was everyone i walk up to get my beer and i was like how did they get to go on a tour <laughs> well, you, have, you have to brew with us yeah come and come, come and brew with us and come on the tour by the time we're done with the tour we're getting close to the boil so we come back add the hops and then transfer to a bucket uh, and then we have we have two different rooms ale room and the logger room obviously Uh, We do a lot more ales. I like to make the joke while we're on the tour that everything we're doing on the brew your own side happens on the the production side, except they just have fancier steel and we have two (laughs) different rooms that just have wall-mounted AC units to keep the rooms at different temperature. <laughs> so it's, it's not pretty, but it gets the job done.
1: And which brewery is this at again? So
2: it's Eudora Brewing Company in uh, Kettering, Ohio.
1: Okay. Just in case anyone's interested. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Cool.
0: What's the most commonly asked question on the tour? When can Did I drink the beer?
2: <laughs> I think actually think our the most common question I get is why is the canning machine so small?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's a question I would never think to ask why is the canning machine so smart
1: like what, do they yeah. picture some like huge apparatus that like a well, mass so, produced canning operation
2: Yeah, I, and I think that's what most people come in thinking But we, so we don't actually do any canning distribution so the only canning they're doing is the cell in the to-go mm-hmm. cooler so we're, it's a single, single head canner it only cans one one can at a time, and I've been to New Belgium, you know, Coors Light, you know, I've been to a couple big mm-hmm. breweries, and you know, they have big canning lines, and some people are like, well, expecting to see that, and they're just surprised that it's just, you know, a tiny little one-head canner.
0: You'll uh, you'll have to um, pull out the little red hand capper out of your back pocket and be like, <laughs> actually, it can get smaller. This is what I use at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Do they yeah, get no,
1: to name the beer, like once it's done and they've canned it up? Do they get to pick a name for themselves, or?
2: Yeah, so we give them label templates. Everyone can make their own labels, mm-hmm. name their own beer, as long as it just has the the legalese that we put on our label. But they can change mm-hmm. all the colors, the background, add whatever photos you want. Cool. And then and then we print them out while they're bottling and stick them on onto all the bottles. Awesome.
0: Yeah, so, so it's, it sounds like the similar to the like brewing experience we had before for one of my birthdays where we went and brewed a beer with like a couple of our friends and family. Mm -hmm. And then they did the same thing. We came back for fermentation after fermentation was done and we got to bottle up the beer in a similar, probably the exact same machine you're talking about where it's just a small little automatic like capper that one bottle at a time Mm -hmm. of filling. And it was really cool to, you know, see that on that scale and it's good to know that the more home brewers we talk to it seems like in states other than Massachusetts these are becoming more and more like prevalent I would say than mm-hmm.
2: back when we did that yeah
1: that was ago. Uh, eight nine years ago maybe Like,
2: I've been told uh, there's only two places in Ohio like two breweries in Ohio that do the, the brew your own type of experience I don't know how accurate it, that is but that's what I've been told so so we're in Dayton and we've had people come up for the brew day from like Cincinnati and Covington, Kentucky, which is right Mm -hmm. across the river from Cincinnati. Like there's been people that have driven a couple hours to get here.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. I kind of want to do one of those again, but so kind of changing gears a little bit, you have been pretty successful when it comes to competitions. So can you talk a little bit about how you decide to start entering competitions, what beers do you typically enter?
2: Competitions are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Um, so it came out of necessity of, I don't want to drink 10 gallons of my beer. Yep. <laughs> Nowadays, kind of make about eight gallons finished, like packaged amount. And that lets me bottle up about a case, maybe two cases, if it's something I think is going to be really good but then I still have a fairly full keg to go down onto my kegerator. That's where I drink it. So then, the, you know, I have bottles to share, bottles to send off to competitions, but then I still have beer on tap. And it was kind of something fun. I started last year. I I had sent, you know, onesies, twosies off prior, you know, years ago and gotten decent, decent scores and, you know, nothing earth shattering, but then I, I was just trying to get rid of beers. So I was like, well, let's start sending them off. And that's the thing I like is it's extra kind of critique mm-hmm. on the beers. I mean, it's, you can't go into a competition hoping to get hardware or diesel, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so subjective because it depends on the judges that you get. Everyone, you know, has their different palates. It's been kind of a love hate relationship, but it's, it's fun because You just get kind of external validation, you know, tips to look at in the recipe. So I had a rye IPA that I made, and it's crazy to me to see the scores change. So I made that one in February of last year. So in March, I started sending it to competitions, and I could see the scores and the comments change month to month as it aged in the bottles, and I sent it out to different competitions. So obviously, I didn't change the beer in the bottle, but as it aged, the hops kind of tapered off a little bit, which was covering up the rye at the beginning. So everyone was reading this and going, oh, this says rye IPA, but all I'm getting is hops. And then a couple months later, the hops had kind of mellowed out, and i got you know exact opposite like wow the rye really comes through in this and i'm like okay that's 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 really cool to see
0: were the comments getting better or worse did they tend to gravitate more to having the rye shine through in the ipa or flip side did they like having it more subtle that it was there in the rye ipa
2: so the scores and the comments were pretty much the same it was just kind of what they said and, and how the beer was coming across because It it was still scoring well when it was young, but as the hops mellowed, gore started going up because the hops kind of mellowed out a little bit and allowed the rye to shine through. So I just sent off a hazy IPA that I brewed early January, and I was supposed to have some friends come over. They wanted to hang out in the garage and brew with me. So I, I delayed you know, the brew day for a little bit, and then no one showed up, and I was rushing it. Because I think I had to get it carbonated and bottled, and then to get it to the, the midwinter competition up in Milwaukee, like I had to overnight it almost to get it there <laughs> during the shipping window. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so I was I was really rushing it for that one. It did well there, so it got like a 37 there. It didn't it didn't place or anything, which is sad, but I think 37 is a really good score for a beer. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I've sent it so far to four competitions. There was the Midwinter which is in milwaukee the all-american which is here in cincinnati i went down and i judged there but i i had shipped it there as well so i don't have to worry i did not have to carry it that mm-hmm. morning but something happened when i was packaging it and so all of my bottles got oxidized and oh no so i have a i have a picture on my instagram you can see it's it's the same beer from the same keg just one straight from the keg and one from the bottle and you can, it's night and day so I was, I was at the all American judging and I had a friend that was, I didn't tell him that I was, had a, a hazy IPA entered, mm-hmm. but they had like 20 of them. It turns out he didn't judge it, but you know, I was really wanting to get my score sheets back. So luckily we were, that one was doing like online score sheets. So I had, it was a mix. So some people were doing online where you type the score sheets in and save it through like the competition software. Uh, That's what I did. It was great. I had my little iPad with the keyboard and made life easy. I didn't have to Mm -hmm. scrunch my fingers up and (laughs) write a whole bunch. And what was great is those were posted that night. So about the time I got home, because I didn't, I didn't stay for the awards seminar or anything. I got home and I I logged in and, you know, they had posted some of those, you know, the electronic score sheets. Yeah, and so I looked at it and it was like a 24, which is not great, but it's mm-hmm. not where I thought it was going to be. And I, I pulled up the score sheet and I could see, you know, the the, this, the aroma or the not the aroma, the color was just like, this has a gray appearance. And I was oh. like, oh, no. Oh,
0: God. Yeah, that picture speaks <laughs> volumes that you put oh, yeah. on your Instagram. Like, I was like wow like that's insane and that's like something always in the back of my head like with packaging and trying to get your packaging down and it's just like Mm -hmm. you're always in the back of your head is this going to be like totally uncarbonated or is it going to oxidize like there's so many factors especially if you're having to ship it like it seems like you've been shipping to all these other homebrew competitions that are outside your state so like that's just a whole nother level of like stress of like oh my gosh like it could be a great beer but by the time it gets there and how it's packaged it's just like incredible how craft breweries can do it and just they have it down you know to a science
2: exactly and so you know i like sending them off to competitions but when i saw that score sheet i went down i i pulled out like four more bottles and tested them and they were all coming out oxidized i was like i was like okay well i'd actually bottled up two full cases so 48 of those I mean, uh 40 of them started going down the drain i'm like oh well
3: oh well
1: i'm gonna blame the friends that didn't show up because then you had yeah, to exactly. yeah exactly
2: yeah <laughs> no, it's all no, their fault because <laughs> they were only going to be there on the brew day packaging was all was all me okay and i don't know what i did but i screwed <laughs> <laughs>
0: now for those listeners that are just getting into competitions or wanting to get into competitions you mentioned the score numbers what's the typical numbers that you see or like what's the range that you you could tell them that's good or bad or just the range in general
2: the score sheet's pretty great like there's if you get the written one there's a bunch of different places they score out aroma appearance flavor mouthfeel and just overall and so it's out of 50 points the key here and something that I've always been told and what I always tell people is when you're entering beer into a competition, don't enter it into the category you want it to be in based on how you brew. Like you might brew an IPA and you know what? It may be, you put too much specialty grains in there and not enough hops. Well then, it, you know, that, You you really got to taste the finished product and then figure out the best Mm -hmm. category that it fits in. Even if you were trying to brew an IPA, if it didn't turn out in an IPA category or an IPA beer, it might still do well in, you know, an amber ale, a hoppy amber. I mean, don't limit yourself going into it because you were looking and trying to make a certain recipe. Taste the beer that's finished and then decide Mm -hmm. where you should enter it. And so that's what they're doing is they're they're judging based on the style that you identified that it is, and they're tasting it and comparing, you know, does it does it live up to that style? So that's what I'm saying. Like if if it's if you were trying to brew an IPA and it didn't come out as an IPA, try to find the right category yeah. to fit it into. And don't don't stovepipe yourself. But so out of 50 points, anything under 13, uh, 0 to 13 is problematic. Uh, fair.
0: Is <laughs> I was going to say, wow,
2: that's that's uh,
0: that's definitely sounds problematic out of 50.
2: I've never seen anything score in that realm. I think you have to have a really bad beer. Anyway. So
0: how did your oxidized beer, that gray, twenty four? you said 24?
2: Yeah, it came out as 24, so that's in the third category so it's problematic is 0 to 13 fair is 14 to 20 good is 21 to 29 very good is 30 to 37 excellent is 38 to 44 and then outstanding is 45 to 50 so it got it got a a good score which means uh, the score sheet says misses the mark on style and or minor flaws But then they're also got a 37, which is generally within style parameters with minor flaws. So I tend to see the majority of scores anywhere from, you know, the low 40s being, you know, excellent but not outstanding through, you know, low 20s being good. You know, you have a couple that'll be sub 20, but I don't generally score that low because I mean, you're, you're looking at all of the different categories, you know, it's the aroma is 12 points. So you you might have a beer that has great aroma, but the flavor falls off. So Mm -hmm. it might score really well. If you score it and get nine points out of 12 on the aroma, you're already going to be up above the problematic. Once you add up all the other scores, I I think it can happen, but it's very hard to get in the low teens.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine too like in your instance where the beer was oxidized that the judges would notice that it's oxidized, but still like you said, the other criteria. But it would be good to know, like say you're not there in person, like I would love the feedback to say like this is the overall score, like the beer was oxidized, it had this color, it looked like this. So that way you'd be like, oh crap, well that's why it's not like it is at home. It's, you know, that happened to help you try and figure it out. Now, are you planning to enter in this year's national homebrew competition?
2: Yeah, so I'm sending. I am sending one one beer there. Um, I have a a stout that I made. It's been doing at the competition so far, but it's it's. Um, so I'm, I made a stout, and then I bought a local whiskey barrel, and I aged the stout in the whiskey barrel for almost two months before packaging it. Um, and it, I'm not a big stout person, but. <laughs>
0: seems to be the only kind of stout I like because we brewed uh, an imperial stout off Mm -hmm. of Mandy Naglish's gold medal imperial stout. And then we took a local whiskey barrel and aged it. And it just seemed to get better and better with age. I think we brewed it in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I think I have one bottle left and our neighbors just finished their last bottle. And we popped it open maybe a week ago. And it was the best like out of all the times we've opened them over the course of time. So it just gets better with
2: time. Yeah. And and I surprisingly like the stout. <laughs> what I've been trying with the stouts is during the mash, I think it's called mash capping, uh, but I hold back all of the dark grains until the last 10, 15 minutes of the mash. And then I add them. And at least in my experience in the two stouts that I've made that way is it tends to be more chocolatey mm-hmm. versus coffee, and that's what I don't like about stouts. Is I don't like coffee, so anything that has coffee flavoring in it, I, I generally don't like. But
0: Chris, I will, way, I think. will definitely have to try that because I'm the same. <laughs> I can, like I can have maybe like a taster of like a coffee stout, but I really mm-hmm. gravitate more towards the chocolatey stouts or the the more like milk, not milky, but the the you know like the softer stouts. Versus like those really espresso, like you're drinking an espresso
2: yep. beer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So so give it a shot. Just any, any dark grain, chocolate malt, black malt, mm-hmm. anything dark, just hold off till like the last 15, 20 minutes of the mash and then add them in on top.
1: Hey, James, make a note.
2: (laughs) I am. Um,
0: Right now, I'm making my notes.
1: So I know you've mentioned a couple times your Instagram and the pictures of the oxidized beer. So people can find you at 21 Left Brewing. Can you talk a little bit about where that come from and what's the inspiration for your logo?
2: So... I went to college in Arizona. That's where I learned to fly, and I got my private pilot's license. So the runway that I learned to fly on in Prescott, Arizona, it was 2-1 left. So it's I'm, mm-hmm. I just kind of named after that runway because I, I, you know, I learned to fly on that runway. But how runways work and how runway numberings work is the number is the, the compass bearing of that runway. And so 2-1, that means you add a zero at the end that that runway heading was two out of 360. That's kind of Northwestern facing, but that's the compass heading. And so the other side, so it's two one left on one side and then three right on the other. And so when you have parallel runways, left is on the left and right is on the right. That's why, you know, you you get clearance lane on the right, the correct runway. Um, But then when you flip it, you know, two one left, on one side is if you're coming from the other way is three right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's just kind of just G whiz G Wiz knowledge for you. So you add a, <laughs> you add a zero. You add a zero to three right. It would be thirty. So the compass direction. You know, if you take 180 degrees and you add 30 degrees, now you're at 210, which is two one or you know, starting out at three.
3: Gotcha.
2: Uh, the logo is supposed to just kind of be a runway, kind of kind of a 3D rendering of a runway and kind of the, the numbering to one is kind of what it would look like while flying cool
0: so if you're in the ohio area and you're looking for a good flight you know make sure you go check out chris <laughs> the pilot right no yeah. pun intended on that one
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: that's a really cool i don't think we've really talked to anyone that's been inspired by you know runways and being a pilot before So that's great let's do a
0: rapid rapid sour like what what would be the top three Things that you would tell Shannon when she's making a sour?
2: Do a kettle sour because personally, I don't. So, sour is made by introducing bacteria to to lower the pH post fermentation. If you're entering bacteria, if you're fermenting in a bucket, you could then infect that bucket going forward. Mm -hmm. Whereas, if you do a kettle sour, that bacteria is in the boil kettle and then you boil it. So, you're not getting bacteria into any hoses fittings, gaskets. It's all contained and then it's Mm -hmm. killed. Uh, That's what I would do. Uh, And then go look at the little good belly probiotics. Oh, you can, you can, you can get a, you can get a quart of that. It's lactobacillus. It's the same thing you would buy, you know, from white labs or yeast or, you know, the, the lacto pitches, it's the same bacteria, but you get a lot more of it for a lot cheaper.
3: Okay.
2: I've only done three and Two of them turned out pretty well. I had an infection that did not turn out well. Um, <laughs> and then for the kettle sour, once you're done mashing, bring it up to a boil temperature first, then chill it back down to about 90 to 100 degrees, throw in the probiotic, the good belly, and then you have to maintain that 90 to 100 degrees mm-hmm. for two days.
1: Okay, so you that's have good to know. You have to, you <laughs> have to have. Woo
2: yeah you you don't want to do this on a propane system
1: yeah good, yeah. good luck
0: with that Shannon.
1: That's, i mean my goal this year is to brew a sour so that i'm trying like to take makeup. all of the input i can get and then i'll put it all on a big list and figure out what i want to do that's what i'm that's my plan yeah.
2: kettle sour on a okay. electric
1: system and Pro, uh, little belly, belly probiotics, probiotics. little yeah. belly okay. probiotics it's awesome <laughs> okay okay i got them on my list can, i got Okay. Well, thank you for that advice. I'm, I'm really trying to, like I said, curate a lot of opinions so I can make James's life, life less miserable when I do it.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I have not even, I have not even tried post fermentation, like, or mixed fermentation Mm
3: -hmm. with
2: Brett or anything. I, that's just, I mean, yeah, I have stainless steel fermenters, so I could, I could get it clean, but that's, not something I want to risk infecting yeah. any of my equipment. So,
1: Yep. That's James's fear too. That's my fear for sure. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, it's my, I got it written down. <laughs> okay. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug for our listeners?
2: my Instagram channel.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: 21left.brewing.
1: Okay. So check out Chris at 21left.brewing on Instagram. And you can see the pictures of the oxidized beer and the stout in the whiskey barrel. All the good stuff. And it's good to
0: know that it will still fare decent on on the uh, judging, too. So for all those worried about their competitions, at least that's a good
2: thing.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Chris, so much for coming on. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Double Hot Beat. If you are like Chris and a home brewer and want to come on our show and tell your story, feel free to shoot us a direct message on our Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast.
0: And make sure you follow us at Double Hot Beat Podcast to follow our craft beer adventures, our home brewing, and also see home brewers just like you.
1: And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. That really helps us find new listeners. This, this has been, been Double Hot, Hot Beat. Hot Catch you on, on the brew side. side.
0: Thank you.